Show number 102 of Look at His Butt, LT and JK Talk Trek. One, oh, two. One, oh, two. FM. <laughs> now into our um, second century. Uh huh. <laughs> and uh, into the new year as well. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And to start off this New Year's episode, mm-hmm. 2009, we want to go backwards in time for mm-hmm. a minute because I did, when we were talking about Boston Legal, the finale yes. on the last show, I wanted to read you a quote from William Shatner. William Shatner, yes. Yes, and he, he, here's the, the uh, little article. It says, in the finale, Crane is suffering the early stages of Alzheimer's disease and asks Alan Shore, played by James Spader, to enter into a legal marriage so he could bequeath his fortune to his fellow attorney. That was the most extraordinary creative solution to so much, Shatner said. Mm-hmm. Which I think... I totally, completely agree. Yes. And you heard it here first. <laughs> Where did that quote appear? Where was in the, the Connecticut Post. Oh. And here's the rest of the article. Um, Shatner showed up at a party Thursday at Priceline.com, the <laughs> Norwalk-based internet travel oh. business. Imagine working there and having Bill show up to your, your end of your party. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. But um, he was also talking about... Um, He's really happy moving on to do Raw Nerve, his talk show. And I've seen little bits and pieces. We're saving Mm -hmm. them up to to watch them all together. But um, we have said, again, you heard it here first, Bill should have his own talk show because he's so, such a good interviewer, so intent, and he has been getting some good reviews. Yeah, I have seen a few reviews without actually having seen Mm -hmm. the show except for those little clips that they posted on the Biography channel. But all the reviews said that he was really good. Yeah, and one of them said, who would have thought... William Shatner would be a better interviewer than Rosie O'Donnell. And I went, me? Because he's not interviewing with an agenda. That's right. And he's not having actors and people on to plug their products. He wants to talk to them. He, he wants to talk to them. And the, the bits I have seen, um, one, of course, the sex parts are what interests me, but he's talking to Valerie Bertinelli about sin. Mm-hmm. And he says, tell me a sin you've committed. She goes, well, I committed adultery. And look on Bill's face is, that's wrong. And she's explaining, you know, how this is, this is a horrible sin and you can't take it back. And he's going, well, yes, but you were young and you aren't having <laughs> He just can't, cannot wrap his mind about it. And then apparently in the interview with Jenna Jameson, the uh-huh. porn star, uh-huh. he says, well, everybody wants to have an orgasm. <laughs> well, of course he would say that. So, um... But apparently he's bringing to it, you know, everything we've seen him bring to interviews where he's on the other end and mm-hmm. the person's doing a lousy job, so he turns it around. So just just keep keep going, Bill. Really? Um, I, I, in, while you were talking, I, I uh, pulled up a few other things that I, I thought we should go over. Okay. In so number one was um, thanks, Die in Australia, for this. <laughs> we'll post this on the blog for the 100th episode congratulations note, which is a wonderful screen cap mm-hmm. from Court Martial. Um, and it's got a huge arrow pointing down to his butt, and it says, look at his butt. And yes. It's great. It's, it's really wonderful. Great. We're going to have to post it because it's a keeper. It really is. Now, you had sent me this link to an interview with Tom Hanks. Yes. <laughs> um, Bill, he did this last year, too. It's this thing Tom Hanks and his wife do where they put on a play for one night, mm-hmm. and so it's more of a reading than a play, and they have one rehearsal, and all the, the 
players are famous stars, and so they were doing You Can't Take It With mm -hmm. You, which is a play I love and I've been in. And so when I heard Bill was in it, I could think of four or five roles he could instantly play. But apparently he played Grandpa, which is kind of the center mm -hmm. of the play. And uh, so this interview with Tom Hanks was about um, this, and you know, about doing it. And at one point he says something about, well, you know, we knew we'd sell out when we got William Shatner because everybody loves Bill Shatner. <laughs> <laughs> True words were never spoken. That's right. Oh, that's just and I really wish, you know, they're doing it for charity. I'm thinking if they could get the rights from the, the play people, if they were to DVD? do DVDs, oh. I mean, the, they'd make a fortune for the charity. And it would be so much fun to see Bill in some of these stage roles. Absolutely. I'd love to see him on stage. Mm -hmm. I think that would be great. Oh, sorry, my nose is hurting. Yeah, last year they did Taming of the Shrew. Right, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'm, I'm really glad that he's doing that. It's nice to know that he hasn't shunned stage work entirely. I know it's because it's just for one night. And right, you never want right. To do it and you don't have to learn the lines. lines. Yeah, <laughs> but that just sounds really, really good. Um, I also wanted to mention the video that you sent me recently that we also posted to the blog mm -hmm. where Bill was shilling for a grocery store <laughs> up in Canada. Oh, man. But as ever... Bill, given 100%, you know, he's in there, he's selling, he's selling as hard as he can, even though he has to play straight man to a guy in a penguin suit. Right, and he's being upstaged <laughs> by the penguin suit. I really thought that the penguin was going to sneak up behind and, and pick him up and carry him away like that, that outtake from the uh, uh, Roman uh, bread and circuses, bread and circuses yes. where the big centurion comes on and, and carries Bill away. I thought that's what was going to happen. Oh, that's so funny. Oh, my God. Oh, it's a terrible commercial, but good to know. Now, I will say that um, in, bra whoops, in browsing around YouTube, there's a lot more Bill stuff on YouTube than there used to be. Mm -hmm. So I would say YouTube probably needs its own category of Shatner just for all the videos that have to be. It, it just needs Shatner Tube. It should I be Shatner Tube. It's true. And plus, they're the videos that, that Bill himself is posting. Yeah. So there's just so much. You could spend probably a month watching nothing but Bill videos on mm -hmm. YouTube, and you'd never see the same thing twice. Oh, no. It's great. And you would never have to watch Rocket Man. No, no. You could just <laughs> skip over that you one. You could entirely. skip that one. Now, I was interested to know that Bill was a cat... Excuse me. Bill was a category on Jeopardy. <laughs> yes, and it was it was called Shatner Happens. I knew all the answers. Of course you did. Um <laughs> One of the questions I'm not going to share with you because that's something that's going to be in our live stage show, and I would hate to, you know, uh -huh. to skew the game. That's so awesome that he was a category on Jeopardy. But um, the like the third question was Bill shared TV American TV's first interracial kiss with this Star Trek character, and after the guy gave his answer, like two answers later, they took the money away from him because he said Lieutenant Uhuru <gasps> and not Uhura. Well, there you go, and um. Then the the last question was something like, and the, yeah, all the questions called him Bill. <laughs> Bill has experienced uh, Renaissance in his career playing this character, this character, mm -hmm. and none of them knew. That's Denny Crane. Denny Crane. Oh come on! How could you know? Morons. But that was pretty cool. Oh. I was so happy. I was watching Jeopardy. <laughs> So that's another media conquered. Jeopardy. Jeopardy category. I think that is just so amazing. That's great. Oh, here. So, um, a couple other things. You know, I forget that you send me all these emails and then because <laughs> you ignore them. I'm in a I'm in an automatic uh, junk. No, it's pile. great. I'm glad you do that. It's just sometimes like they they because the the mad cow. I just can't keep track of it. <laughs> anyway, um, you brought up this topic, and I thought we would talk about it a little bit about Ben Stiller. <gasps> oh. So, for one thing, um, 
you brought it up because you had watched Tropic Thunder again, um, and there's so much stuff in there that's about Bill. So the gratuitous shoulder roll, um, needless hopping over things while yes. running. Um, and he said he was watching Arena on his iPod, which mm-hmm. is really good. And then Robert Downey Jr.'s character is named Kirk Lazarus, which is really good. And the name of Ben Stiller's company is Red Hour. Yes. And I was watching, um, Zoolander was on the other night, so I watched mm-hmm. that a little bit. And the doctor's name is Mugatu. So, right. Yeah, it's just so great. He's such a huge fan. And while I was researching it, I found this thing on, on the net, which was um, the Star Trek 30th anniversary mm-hmm. special. And he was asked to appear. And so he talks for like about five minutes about being such a Trekkie. And oh my God, it is so funny because he just is totally out there showing off his knowledge of the minutia and the trivia. And he's, he's just so funny. But the best line, I think, is, you know, they pan the audience. Mm-hmm. They're showing all of them. There's Shatner and Nimoy and, and Kelly and, Uhur and Nichelle and everything. And, and Ben Stiller's up on stage. He's going, and, you know, it is just such a thrill for me to be here. I mean, talking, you know, to, to Captain Kirk and Mr. Spock. And I know you guys have real names, but they escape me at the moment. <laughs> A super Trek dork, oh and it's really, really that funny. That is great. And sure. he says, um, I was asked to appear here, appear here. Well, no, actually, I went and begged them to <laughs> to let me be here. And Oh, it's, it's wonderful. That's great. We should I, post a link or I something. I would love to talk with him about Trek. That would just be the most awesome thing. I know, because it would just be talk, talking with another Trekkie. Yeah. A really funny one. Yeah. And i got to say, Tropic Thunder is such a funny movie and the the part the thing that's out on dvd now actually has some extra stuff to it not just the extras but Mm -hmm. some more stuff in the movie and watching it the second time i turned on the subtitles because in the opening battle scene which is hysterical it's so hollywood cliche battle scene i couldn't in the movie theater really Uh understand all the dialogue and it's it is cliche over the top war dialogue Mm -hmm. and so i recommend Seeing Tropic Thunder and seeing it with subtitles oh, on, that's great. and oh. just picking out the little, the little tiny trackisms. That's great. <laughs> but I swear, I about fell out of my chair when he did that gratuitous hopping over something on fire, <laughs> because he did it just like Shatner. I mean, he studied. I think he was probably wishing they had offered him the Rolling Galaxy Quest. Oh, that's strange. But, you know, it wouldn't have worked because he couldn't have played it straight enough. No, no. You, you needed someone like Tim Allen. Well, and Tim Allen is, is um, I believe, a little older. Yeah. And so uh, you needed that, too. Yeah, yeah, especially when I don't think Ben Stiller could have done as good a job of conveying his crushing disappointment when he finds out that the fans are making fun of him. Yes. There's just something about Ben uh, – about um, – his name escapes you at the moment. Tim Allen. <laughs> that he was able to, to do that thing where he, he went from mm-hmm. being, you know, really effusive and confident and everything to being totally, you know, shut down in the next scene. Do you realize we're ha- we're having a podcast where we're discussing who's a better actor, uh, Ben Stiller Tim Allen? Tim Allen. In, a, in a Star Trek context, <laughs> which makes it very, very narrow. <laughs> So, let's talk about Entertainment Weekly. Okay. Okay, so one thing that we have to say, because you, again, a link that you sent me was that they list 25 classic TV episodes, but did not list Dagger of the Mind. What's up with that? <laughs> How 
did you not list that? Well, it was holiday episodes. No, you said Christmas episodes. Okay, Christmas episodes. Yeah. Yes. And they didn't list Agra the Mind. But here's the thing. Um, I keep getting these little blurbs from Entertainment mm -hmm. Weekly, and they always have lists. Mm -hmm. and, and a lot of them I'll go read because I love lists. I've always read lists. And it was getting ridiculous how many lists had Bill on them. You know, there was the classic sci-fi, mm -hmm. which had at least three Shatner things on it. And... You know, greatest comebacks. There's Shatner. All these things, and then suddenly they started fucking up. They did. Um, okay, where was it? I had this open. They okay. started fucking up. They had. Um, here it is. The top sidekicks. Oh right. And I said, this is so fucked up. Spock didn't even make the runner up list. He's a lovable sidekick. A lovable, lovable, yeah. So then, um, oh, where did the rest of them go? Well, they keep having these, these lists with Bill on them. And just yesterday, they had another list, and this list was the top sci-fi since 82. Okay, that would include Wrath of Khan, right? And Wrath of Khan was definitely on the list. And let me go find the list because... It was actually, there were things I wanted to read. Let's okay. hope it's still there. Because, you know, these people. <laughs> but really, it had gotten to the point where I was thinking, while this is coming up, that I, ha I had it backwards. It wasn't somebody at Entertainment Weekly going, okay, what should be this week's list? Top sidekicks. What should be this week's list? Top two pays. And Bill just happened to be on them. Uh -huh. No, this person has a major Shatner crush. And so they're going, what's another aspect of Bill that I can make into a list? Oh, no, let's see if it's still here. Oh, crap. Well, anyway, um, TNG was on it. Mm -hmm. And Wrath of Khan was on it. Galaxy Quest was on it. Yay! But it's just like, you, at least once a week, there is some sort of bill. He's been on the top TV lawyers list. <laughs> well, think about it this way. Entertainment yes. Weekly is a magazine that's devoted to covering um, showbiz. Yeah. This biz we call show. <laughs> and um, by definition, they have to cover people who are an integral part of show business. And who is more at the center of show business than Bill? I mean, if you want to talk about movies, you talk about the movies that he's been in. If you want to talk about television, all the television yep. he's been in. If you want to talk about plays, he's been on stage. Mm -hmm. He's been the shill master. He's done game shows. I mean, as we I know, think they had top game show moments, and they had him freaking, <laughs> freaking out on the pyramid. I'm waving my arms. Exactly. So excited. So, so if there's anything that has to do with entertainment, Bill has to be part of it because he has been part of it, and he's an important part of it. He's not like a bit player right. on the stage of entertainment. No, no, no. He's front and center. Yep. yep. So I think that explains it. Well, and it's kind of like that game his daughter plays, get through a day without a reference to, to Shatner <laughs> somewhere, seeing her dad someplace. Not possible. N not possible not at possible. all. But, you know, really, Entertainment Weekly, it is just cracking me up how many things you find to make lists of and how many of those lists include Bill yes. or Star Trek, which is Bill. Of course. So my hat's off to you, but also you occasionally fuck up. <laughs>
Um, let's take a little break. What we're going to talk about next is... We have uh, two serious topics. Well, we could do that now or we could take a break. It's been like 15 minutes. Okay, let's take a break. Okay, we'll take a break. So we have some serious stuff, but then we want to talk about all those videos that I posted okay. to the blog. So that'll be good. So um, just hang on to your hats. We'll be right back. Okay. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. Its five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before. Things Bill wants you to know. Email to lookathisbutt at gmail.com. Show notes at lookathisbutt.blogspot.com. This entire podcast recorded on an Apple PowerBook with GarageBand. This is TSFPN.com, the sci-fi podcast network. You found the best podcasts in the universe. Okay. Okay. Serious topic number one. Well, yes. in our hands, it's not that serious. But um, the guy who wrote The Tipping Point, yes. his name is Malcolm, Malcolm Gladwell. Gladwell. <laughs> and his new book is called The Outliers. Uh-huh. And it, the premise basically is why are some people amazingly successful and other people with the same intelligence or abilities just part of the crowd? This was in an interview on um, CNN Entertainment. And I want to read a quote from what he said because it got me thinking. It says, I have a chapter that looks at some of the most powerful people in Silicon Valley, and almost all of them were born in 1955. Steve Jobs at Apple, Bill Gates at Microsoft, Bill Joy, who is one of those famous programmers, a bunch of guys at Sun Microsystem. The argument there is that they were 21 when the computer revolution hit, and that's how old you want to be when you're confronted with a new revolution. That's the kind of pattern that you see over and over again when you look at the lives of very successful people. That it's not just their own abilities, it's being in the right place at the right time. It's coming from a certain kind of culture. It's having certain built-in advantages. And then my comment was, Bill was 21 in 1950 mm-hmm. when the television revolution mm-hmm. really mm-hmm. hit. That makes sense. I think that makes sense. I would definitely put him in the category of um, not a film star. Mm-hmm. Like, it was never, I don't think it was ever his ambition to be um, the matinee idol, mm-hmm. really. And I think he knew from the start that his talents were much more suited to things like the play, plays, but also television. Mm-hmm. And um, if he had been born earlier, I don't think he ever would have been a film star necessarily. Right. And, you know, like the guy saying it's being in the right place at the right time, but I'm also thinking it's what he was saying being 21. Mm-hmm. It's being at the point in your life where you feel you can bite off more than you yeah. can chew. Oh, yeah. And you can go way out on that limb and live on fruit salad for months <laughs> and, and things like that. Yeah. that you know, that put you right at the forefront of the revolution, not being one of the people that it happens to, mm-hmm. but one of the people who makes it happen. Yeah. And Bill has pointed out many times that as a young actor in TV, he got cast a lot because, first of all, he looked younger than he was, mm-hmm. 
And since he was older than these parts he was playing, he had more training, mm -hmm. more experience. So he was there with the right skills and the right attitude of, hey, something new, let's do it. Yeah. I'll just jump right in. I think that's true. And he's said that too, you know, when he's spoken about his, his life, that he really wanted to do something different than what his parents wanted him to do. Mm -hmm. He didn't want the life that they had and the life that was sort of planned for him to, to do. He wanted to leave that behind because that was the old life, and that's mm -hmm. not what was for him. He wanted the new and the different and the exciting stuff. Yeah. I, yeah, I think that's absolutely And right. I think that's a very interesting theory. Yeah. I, I think that makes sense. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, and you think so many of the, the revolutions that we are aware of, certainly the 60s, certainly the Russian Revolution, started with the students, the mm -hmm. college students. They're at that age. Yeah. And you also have nothing to lose at that age. That's right. That's the other part of it. That, that's the other part of it. But you're old enough to think you know what needs changing mm -hmm. and young enough to believe you can do it. Yep. No, I think that's true because you can't really institute change unless you've had some experience of the thing that you want to change. Mm -hmm. Like you can't just go into it with no context. You have to have a context. Right. But you also can't be so committed to the old way that you don't want it to mm -hmm. go away. And I think 21 and right around there is the age where you either embrace the big changes around you, whether it's just a question of, wow, now I'm an adult, mm -hmm. or you retreat from them. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is the major, a major decision point for most people mm -hmm. is, um, and I think for a lot of people who, you know, get married at that age, I think part of it is to have something to hold on to. Yep, I think that's right. I wonder if that age point isn't going to um, skew up a little bit as time goes on. Just because it, it seems to me that a lot of what's happening with people who are becoming not phenomenally successful, mm -hmm. but successful is that they, they commit to doing something between, say, 21 and 30 mm -hmm. and get bored with it and decide that that wasn't really what I wanted to do after all. Mm -hmm. And at that point, when they're like in their early 30s, they decide to completely reinvent themselves and do something different. So it's at a different point than right. the 21 point. But, but they do go on to become really successful after they come to the realization of what it is that they're really passionate about. Like it takes them mm -hmm. a slightly longer incubation period to figure out what it is that drives them. In some ways though, I think that as time goes by, and certainly the time we're in now, it's skewing younger. Yeah. Because of how young kids are now mm -hmm. when they really understand technology and computers and they're founding these incredible things like YouTube and things that are being built by 14-year-olds you know, that's... I guess so. I, I guess maybe it's partly how you measure success. Mm -hmm. I would say that um, the dot-com boom was a really good example of a lot of people who were very young, mm -hmm. who had great ideas and no idea how to make them profitable or even write a business plan for right. that matter. Right. And they could have become phenomenally successful if they had had a little more grounding, mm -hmm. but they didn't. And they just went out there thinking, oh, I'm going to make yeah. some money out of this. And the people who have started things like YouTube um, have been really lucky. Yes. More than anything yes. else. It hasn't been because of their amazing foresight and planning that they've become successful, which is luck. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's true. I also think, to me, one of the characteristics of a happy person, as opposed or not necessarily a successful person, mm -hmm. as in 
fame and, and fortune and all those things is a person who continues to pursue dreams. Mm -hmm. And so every now and then, you know, you do run across somebody who, when they retired, went into something entirely different, mm -hmm. and it wasn't golf. Right. And it may not be a big thing that turned the world around, but they loved it. Mm -hmm. Or somebody who, at the age of 40, said, why am I chasing this when these are the years my children are growing up and I want to be with them? Mm -hmm. Or, okay, I've done this. I need a new career. What do I want to do? Mm -hmm. And I think those are some of the happiest and most satisfied people I know, as opposed to the ones who stay in the same career their entire life or in the same job, which probably does have its satisfactions, but not necessarily the challenges, or the ones who are openly unhappy but will never take that mm -hmm. risk. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if there's certain age points where you confront those questions, like the middle age crisis. Yeah, I, I think that's true. It, it's interesting. Um, you know, we live in interesting times right now where a lot of people don't really have a choice. Yes. Right? Like, stuff's going to happen. Whether you want things to change or not, they're going to change for you. And you're mm -hmm. going to have to find what it is that is going to allow you to live. And maybe it'll make you happy, too. Which brings us to the most annoying business <laughs> book of all time, Who Moved My Cheese. Okay. <laughs> okay, next. Serious topic. Serious topic. This serious. was a good one. This was on the Trek BBS. Mm -hmm. And the topic was The Lonely Trek. And the person posing the question, Robert Scorpio, said, What Star Trek character, via the events of their life, is the most alone? Alone or lonely? Those are two he said, things. most alone. Is it Kirk? He gave up love, family, and that so-called other life. And then I wanted, I'm not going to get into his whole thing, but um, I wanted to read some of the uh, other responses. Um, some of them are kind of brief. You know, I'd have to go with Kirk and, and stuff like that. But there were some good ones. Well, oh, okay. I would go with James Kirk, not only because command is a lonely place to be, but because Kirk always seemed to me to be a man who keeps his soft core very closely guarded and heavily armored. So while some of his loneliness is self-inflicted, he always seemed to me to be the loneliest of the Star Trek captains. I would just like to say that, <coughs> excuse me, I don't think that alone and lonely are the same thing. Okay. All right. Well, <laughs> expand on that. Or how, how either or neither or one or the other applies to Kirk. Okay. Well, um, I, I just think that there are, um, you can be alone without being lonely, and you can be lonely when you're not alone. So I, mm -hmm. they can be the same thing, but I don't think they're necessarily the same thing. So... <clears throat> Excuse me. I would say that um, Kirk is definitely a person, as we see him in TOS anyway, who is alone mm -hmm. in a lot of ways because he's at the top. He doesn't have any peers, mm -hmm. real peers. He has the guys who are just below him, like McCoy, who is a friend, and Scotty, and, and Spock. But they're not really his peers because in the end, it's him. He's the mm -hmm. captain, and he has to make those decisions. And we see that he has friendly relationships with the other captains, but everybody's on their own starship. It's not like he actually right. gets to spend any quality time with them. But um, aside from the, um, the woman relationship thing, I don't perceive him as a very lonely guy in general. I think every now and then it breaks down a little that he knows he's paid a price. Mm -hmm. uh, there's the no beach to walk on mm -hmm. speech. There's the... Uh, Men like us don't have families. Yeah. 
Um, I don't think I don't think he's bitter about it. Mm-hmm. And to me, a good part of loneliness would be feeling an emptiness inside yourself that if it is going to be filled, would be filled by another person Mm -hmm. needing that connection. And my feeling is whatever emptiness there might be in Kirk or feelings he might occasionally have of that, I don't think he would turn to another person to fill them. No, I think the enterprise fills it for him. Yeah. But then what about, you know, when he's more or less forcibly retired? And doesn't have the enterprise anymore, or yeah, the um, lonely, ad- unhappy admiral mm-hmm. years. Yeah, well, that, that's where I think. So that's a distinction, right? So I'm talking about TOS. In okay. TOS, I don't perceive him as a lonely person. I, I do think that when we see him in um, the first movie, he does seem a lot lonelier, mm-hmm. just because then he has nothing because he doesn't mm-hmm. have the enterprise anymore. He doesn't have his command, and I think we're even in, in um, Wrath of Khan. He still seems really isolated, mm-hmm. and he doesn't have a lot of purpose because he's, you know, monitoring these stupid Kobayashi Maru tests and things like that. And it really only is when he's in command that he becomes the full person that he is. Mm-hmm. But again, I, I don't think that that's a, he's longing for a person to fill that up. It's the command, and it's the ship that fills that emptiness that he has. So do you think maybe that other if another person had the perception of Kirk as lonely, do you think it's kind of like them projecting on onto it, I would be lonely in that position? Yeah, I think so. Because I think command generally is a lonely thing, mm-hmm. and certainly to have the decisions you have to make mm-hmm. and know the buck stops with you, that whatever happens because of that, mm-hmm. you have to live with those consequences, I think is something most people cannot do. Mm-hmm. They, they would go insane. Absolutely. Or they'd, they'd turn into the type of, of lunatic who either can't make a decision or will always have someone to blame it on. I think that that's right. Um, but in the way the Star Trek universe is set up, those people self-select for command. Mm-hmm. And they understand, as you were saying, they understand that and they're willing to accept that that's part of the job. And if mm-hmm. they don't like it, they can quit. Nobody's forcing them to be captains. Right. You know, if, if that's not the life that you want, go do something else and don't put yourself in that place. And I think just about all of the starship captains that we've seen, with the exception of, you know, the crazy ones. Um, <laughs> Which is a substantial that's number. That's true. That's really true. <laughs> um, have been willing to accept that. But is it... Now we're getting into their psych profiles. Yeah, their really. psychophiles. Is it... As you say, they self-select because they are thinking, um, yes, I know it will be lonely, but it's what I'm going to be best at or what I need to do. Or is it because they know that although other people might feel very lonely in it, they are going to feel very fulfilled and not lonely? Or are they just saying, yes, I know it will be lonely, but I'm willing to accept that? I don't know. That's, That's a tough one. And I think it could go either way. For, for any of them. And, and it's funny because I was just thinking, you know, okay, people who self-select to be captain, are they loners? No, they're not loners. They're not people who don't want contact with other folks because there are mm-hmm. a lot of people who are like that who just don't really mm-hmm. thrive on human contact. 
and they're not really lonely. Mm -hmm. They're perfectly happy to be on their own. But they don't want to be in charge of a starship full of people either. They just want to be on their own doing what mm -hmm. they do, you know, hermits. Like, that's yeah. fine. They're, they're totally happy like that. Um, but I think that there's a – the people who become the starship captains, they're not loners, but they don't feel a need to have so, a, someone, a person, to complete them. Or to be a confidant. Yeah, that too. Because uh, remember, the, the Spock makes that speech to him about as the captain, you don't have the right mm -hmm. to be imperfect in mm -hmm. the eyes of the crew. Mm -hmm. A speech that Harvey Harvey Keitel also makes in U five seven one, not word for word, but um, I think that would be a form of aloneness. That everyone there, even your closest friends, McCoy and Spock, are part of your crew, mm -hmm. and. If you need to break down or have a shoulder to cry on or express all your doubts or just say, God, some I would like to have one day where I'm not the captain. Mm -hmm. You can't say that to anybody. Yeah, yeah. That there is absolutely no one. I think that would be one of the really tough, tough mm -hmm. things, maybe even tougher than the decisions, is to not have that person you can just bear your soul to. Yeah. So, um, Pike struck me as a very lonely person. He struck me as um, very tired and very bitter. Yeah, but he seemed really lonely, too. Mm -hmm. I mean, the fact that he is so anxious to have this relationship with Vina, like, yeah. he just kind of throws himself into that full force. And, and I don't think we ever see Kirk throw himself into a relationship with someone unless he's being mind-controlled or something like Right, that. and also, I think to... To most fans, um, in generations where Kirk's dream life was to be with this mm -hmm. woman, that would seem to support the idea that there was this loneliness that was never fulfilled. Yeah. But most fans felt that that was so completely out of character for him. Yes. So Even those of us who see him <laughs> as a human being and therefore having some interesting flaws, um, that sort of negates the idea. I mean, and you totally. could see Pike. I mean, Pike did go for it. He did. He totally, totally went for he, it. That's what he wanted. So, um, in the last show, um, when we were talking about um, the horrible Nexus, Nexus, God, the Nemesis movie. <laughs> you know, I was trying to type Nemesis, and I couldn't even do it the other day. <laughs> Your hands were rebelling. <laughs> Christopher Priest wrote this great essay, and yes. he had a section in about generations, and I wanted to read it, because I wanted to talk about generations a little, and this is what he had to say, and this is so perfect. He okay. Says, um, when he talked about Generations and what a crappy movie it was, he said, it felt like Paramount was flipping me the bird. Get lost, you old TOS fanboys. <laughs> Even worse, Generations got Kirk so completely wrong. Oh, yeah. It makes us wonder if Berman had ever seen an episode of the original series. Generation centers around James Tiberius Kirk being trapped in a hokey plot device called The Nexus, <laughs> where he is living out his life's ambition, being the husband of some woman we've not heard of before, and splitting logs on a quiet ranch in the Midwest. Generations collapses in on itself at this point because it loses credibility and cohesive structure around the notion that this Norman Rockwell painting could ever be Kirk's life ambition. The gag is Kirk is so happy he never wants to leave the Nexus, but his fantasy is so wrong and so dull that the audience wants to leave the Nexus. <laughs> the trick is not so much to keep Kirk in the Nexus, but to keep the audience there to show us something so cool, so riveting that we don't want to leave it to go back to the plotting Malcolm McDowell psychodrama. McDowell fails miserably as a villain because Berman and screenwriters Ronald D. Moore and Brandon Braga failed miserably to make the Nexus a compelling place for the audience. Yes. 
So, exactly. I mean, and Picard's Nexus Fantasy yeah. was just a commercial for the fact that he had a one-man version of Christmas Carol exactly. on Broadway. It was, so, that whole thing was ridiculous. So, talking of, of potentially lonely people, Picard is another really good example. Mm-hmm. I don't perceive him as lonely at all. Mm-mm. And he, again, he seems like the kind of person, he's not a loner. He, at the beginning of TNG, he's a little cold. But he kind of stops that after Patrick Stewart figures out what the hell he's doing. Um, <laughs> and he has friendships with people, and we mm-hmm. see he has relationships with women outside of command. But he never seems to me the kind of guy who's, you know, moping around going, oh, I wish I had someone to talk to. Mm-hmm. He seems really happy and content to be who he is, doing what he is in that position at the top. Mm-hmm. Well, and yeah, and there are so many supporting things in TOS canon. Um, you know, that discussion Spock has with Kirk about it was a mistake for you to accept promotion mm-hmm. because commanding a starship is your first best destiny. Mm-hmm. And that is all reinforcing Kirk's belief about himself and yeah. our beliefs about Kirk. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I have to, you know, I'm going to do a little um, show for myself here. One of the things we as fanficers like to do or like to try to do or like to speculate on is what the fuck were they doing? Can I come up with some... <laughs> I don't know, some crazy, whacked-out way to sort of speckle it all together. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the biggest challenges is generations. Mm-hmm. And I did write a story to speckle it. Yeah. And I, I took certain liberties with it. But I think I did a good job. And I have to say, I watched that damn sequence <laughs> so many fucking times. But I was... Really surprised then after how I had written most of the story, and I went to the sequence again just to see if there was anything mm-hmm. else I could mine or had really gotten wrong. And I, I do want to, you know, kind of publicly thank whoever edited that movie <laughs> for two things. We never see what that picture is that Kirk takes out of the pouch, mm-hmm. which allowed me to speculate on that. And the final time when he looks up on the hill with a certain expression on his face. We had seen Antonia there before on a horse, but they never cut away to what's up there now. Mm -hmm. And we're assuming it's Antonia. So that left me some some good hooks. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, that that really sucks. And i got to say, it was a hell of a challenge to spackle that in any way. And, I, you know, I've seen people, um, you know, set stories in the Nexus where Spock comes to get... Kirk out of the Nexus, and they decide to stay there together, and, and lots of different things, but I have to say that of the ones I've seen, mine stuck the closest mm-hmm. to what we actually saw. Mm-hmm. I, I love your story. I think Thank it's you. Great. But it, 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 that, yeah, that whole Nexus, oh, the story's called The Sound of Drums, mm-hmm. but that whole Nexus thing is just... It's ridiculous. Um, and, and here's the thing, so this is why I have a problem with um, the Kirk Spock fanfic that has them sort of running away together and leaving Starfleet. Like, Kirk's not going to do that, you know? (laughs) That's not his thing. He doesn't want to go, you know, live in a house somewhere and carve wood. (laughs) It's like, it's so ridiculous to take your domestic fantasy and put it on these two characters. Well, i got to tell you, once in the the chaos group or whatever it was, they were talking about this, and somebody was saying they really hate the domestic Kirk Spock Mm -hmm. fic, you know, where they are living together and washing dishes. And I said, better them than me. (laughs) (laughs) So if that's your fantasy, that's fine. But, you know, don't don't make Kirk and Spock do it because those characters...
characters would not do those things. <laughs> they wouldn't do dishes. You they think they just dishes. let them pile up? Kirk wouldn't. Kirk wouldn't leave Starfleet to go live with Spock somewhere and be, you know, happy, not doing what Being he's doing. Being his butt boy. So let's talk about people who we are think are lonely, because I have one. Okay. Do you want to go first? Or you no, you go, because I haven't really um, thought too much about of, it. Of the main characters that we see on Trek, I think McCoy is the loneliest. He's certainly the one who actually leaves Starfleet at one point. And, and here's why I think that that's the case. Um, uh, this was canon, but it wasn't in the episode. He was divorced, and he had a daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, he seems to me to be the kind of guy who actually really does thrive on human contact. I mean, I think that partly explains why he's a doctor. He mm-hmm. really, really enjoys contact with people. Yeah. Um, he likes talking to people. He does, you know, provide the sort of counselor aspect before they decided that they actually needed a counselor on the ship. And um, he is the most sort of uncontrolled with his emotions. And I think that's a consequence of, you know, being friendly with people. Um and in the position that he's in on the ship, because he's the, the chief medical officer, he doesn't really get the chance to inter- interact with people more as peers. And I, I see him really missing that. Mm-hmm. That, that. That would make him happier. And he has a failed relationship and a child that he doesn't get to see. And I could easily see him ditching Starfleet and going to have a real life. Like It, it seems to well, me... Well, which is what he did which between is what he did. and TV. So even if, even if that wasn't part of the movie thing, mm-hmm. I could see that for him as a character path. That he's not a career Starfleet officer the way Kirk is, or the mm-hmm. way Scotty is, or the way Spock is, for that matter. I could really see him just going, you know what? Screw this. I'm going to go have a real life now. Yeah. You know, somebody in the discussion on the BBS brought up one character, and I think... It's not one of the regulars, but it is certainly the character whose loneliness is the whole motivation for the story, and it is heartbreaking, and that's Charlie Evans. Oh, absolutely, yeah. yeah. I mean, when we watched that, we talked about how heartbreaking the end of that episode is. Oh, absolutely, yeah. yeah. I completely agree with that. So, yes. But I think that it's an interesting question worth Mm -hmm. pondering, because it does get into what makes a captain a captain. Mm Mm-hmm. It's a very special skill set. I have to say that I thought the other captains that we see, even however briefly, mm-hmm. um, throughout Trek, and um, when we see the other Enterprise captains as well, you know, even though they're only in it for a little while, I get the same sort of, except for Harriman, but, you know, he's a boob. <laughs> he's an idiot. But the other captains that we see... I see them very much in that captainly mold that we're used to. Mm-hmm. You know, they're they're kind of in control of things. They're doing their best. They're in there. They're not freaking out. They're not panicking. They're mm-hmm. not doing any of those things. They really seem like captains. And and I'm, you know, whoever was responsible for that, I think they did a good job. Yeah. Okay. Well, that was good discussion. That was great. So, um, well, now we are going to take a break. Okay. We've been talking and talking and talking. So let's take a break. Um, if you guys who are listening to this haven't watched the videos from YouTube that I posted of the old 70s stuff, go watch it now, and then you can know what the hell we're talking about when we come back. <laughs> Cue the music.
Tina. I told you. So. <laughs> are we recording? We are recording. So it's all sexual, huh, Dean? <laughs> Thanks for that insight. Crack me the heck up. <laughs> so I want to ask you the question I asked you after Jean said that Kirk's relationship <laughs> with the ship was sexual or almost sexual. Do you think Gene Roddenberry and Shatner would like your story rank privilege? Oh, sure. What's not to like? <laughs> <laughs> well, it is extremely well written. It's a sexy story. And uh, certainly believable and, and uh, fits with canon. Uh, apparently. <laughs> that was Gene Roddenberry who said that. That's right. So, anyway. Um, so, let, let's um, just quickly, we'll come back to that, because that was the last, like, 15 seconds of the last bit of this thing. Yes. Uh, this, this person, Peoples, who post this on YouTube, have been posting all kinds of rare video. And I get the impression that they're from England, because this is all, um, they, they seem like they're English people. I don't quite understand that. But anyway, um They've been posting... It's because they run their video on the wrong side of the road. Oh, that's what it is. Okay. It goes backwards. Um, yeah. They have posted five parts of coverage of when the movie... Oh, the first movie opened way back when. And part of it is stuff from the, the movie. There are clips and there's a couple trailers. And then there are interviews with all the people mm -hmm. and with Gene Roddenberry. And there's some great news coverage out of New York of the people who were standing in line to see the movie when it first opened. Which I just love. Well, and the thing is, there's one guy, a heavy set guy in a the hat and, and a parka, and a parka, <laughs> who is comic book guy. Oh, he is. He totally is. And he's interviewed by just about every <laughs> station. You know, I think they were lining up to talk to the ultimate because door. He had a phaser and he had a tricorder and he had a special ID card and he had a special ID card and he was wearing, you know, a, a Kirk type tunic with the gold collar under on the it, parka. Under his parka. You know what I found disappointing though. When they were talking to people after the movie, saying, what did you think? Why didn't they go find that guy? They should have totally found that guy. Well, they probably couldn't stick around. That oh. was it. They couldn't wait. Um, I have to say, I love the people online. <laughs> I really do. You love a good line I geek. I love those line geeks. They're so <laughs> geeky. They're the geekiest of the geeks. They're ill-dressed. They're overly <laughs> enthusiastic. They're pedantic to a fault. We're not Trekkies. We're Trekkers. trekkers. <laughs> Anybody who can handle it is a Trekker. <laughs> I love them. But, you know, in a way, they're right. They are the people who kept it going. If well, I, it kills me, though, when they take, like, full credit, you know, because it was us writing letters, and I'm going, um, yeah, that certainly was part of it, but there was the fact that Star Wars was yeah, hugely successful, and that woke up everybody, uh -huh. that there was a market for science fiction, and Paramount went, mm -hmm. hey, we own something, you know. <laughs> it's true. But... I just, I love them. I love the fact that they got to be on TV. They had their, mm -hmm. like, you know, 10 seconds of fame where they get to talk about yes. it. And they were the first people online. They were waiting since 5.45 in the morning to mm -hmm. see the movie. It just was funny. And I would, as, as always, I would love to know where those people are now. Yeah. I'd love to know. What yeah. are they doing? I'm, you know, I'm going to have to look that guy's name up and, like, Google him and see if I can <laughs> find out what's happened to him over the years. And has he moved out of his parents' basement? Oh, who knows? You know, he's probably... You know, uh, one of those guys who um, participates in the Star Trek online mm -hmm. RPG things, you know. Well, you know, one of the things I found really interesting, because you had told me this, but I'd never actually seen the clip of Bill saying it, when um, he was talking about how after a few weeks of, of a TV series, mm -hmm. it just wears down your creativity, and you end up playing how you yourself mm -hmm. would 
hopefully react to these situations. So in, a, in many ways, Kirk was his wishful thinking about himself. Okay. And it was just wonderful to, to see him discussing that. And I mean, okay, you know, that's my crack is actors I like talking about acting and not in boring, stupid James Lipton ways. Mm -hmm. That was great. So um, there's a, it's, it's uh, interviews. They have a fairly long interview with Bill and the one with Leonard and the one with um, uh, DeForest. DeForest. And Bill's is great because he talks partly about that, but the interviewer says to him, you know, tell, talk about Kirk. You know, what mm -hmm. kind of qualities does he have? I thought Bill did a really good job talking yes. about him, saying that he is curious, um, that he's passionate, which of course, of course we know that. That's code. Yeah. Um, and all of the things that really bring, you, you know, you could see how he was working all that into his characterization of Kirk. Mm -hmm. and just to see him talk about that character in a, in a way, you know, like he's clearly thinking about his answer to that question. He doesn't have a stock answer. Yeah. And, and I'd like to see him thinking and talking about it. But you got to consider when this was, mm -hmm. um, many of these questions were fresh. Exactly. Yeah. He hadn't already answered them 300 times. Exactly right. And that's why I think it's so cool to see it. And also because they had just finished with the first movie. Mm -hmm. So it was, you know, after all of those years of filming, when he had had a chance to kind of think about it and, and mm -hmm. rediscover it for the filming of the movie. And that, uh, that's a great perspective for him to mm -hmm. have. Yes. Now, in contrast to that, Leonard's interview was terrible. Yeah. So, first of all, he didn't answer any of the questions that the interviewer asked. And every time he did give an answer, it was complete waffle. Mm -hmm. You know? It's like, what do you think about Star Trek fans? It's like, oh, well, I don't take anything too seriously. I don't take myself too seriously. Blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. Acting this, acting that. Like, that's not what she asked you. Right. Do you like science fiction? Oh, well, there's good science fiction and bad science fiction, and it's all a matter of taste and blah, blah. It's like... What? But then the interview after that was Dee, who, as you were pointing out, listens to the questions, <laughs> as Shatner did, and answers very specifically, and he's, you know, his relaxed, genial mm -hmm. self. He's great. I love listening yes. to interviews yes. with him. And I, I, he, his take on McCoy is just so right to the point where he mm -hmm. talks about, you know, like worrying about technology taking over and being like H.L. Mencken and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Just really, really good. So I was happy. So the capper on this was a little interview with Gene Roddenberry where they ask him, you know, to describe the movie and he gives a little thumbnail plot summary. And then he says, we have the captain's love affair with his vessel, finally reunited with her. And it is almost sexual, the relationship of a man with a vessel like that. <laughs> <laughs> so he said it. See? Yep. You know, I have a, a new theory. It's probably been other people have had it, but it's new for me. Mm. About... Why TOS lasts in ways that other Star mm. Treks haven't. Mm -hmm. And you think about when TOS was first on, late 60s. And it seemed like at that time, you know, the country was in a mess. Mm -hmm. And on the brink of, of revolution. And we were in this war that many people felt was the wrong thing to be doing. And we didn't know our direction and what the hell was going to happen. And then here came TOS, as people pointed out, with its mm -hmm. optimism about the future that, yeah, we're going to actually make it. And you could look at that and, in a way, escape from the daily mm -hmm. thing, but also it instilled, I think, hope in your hearts. The other ones, the 70s, 80s, and 90s, just weren't as bad in the same way. Mm -hmm. And so they more or less had to go to darker places. Mm -hmm. And I don't think you retain dark images in your heart and nurse them. 
the way you do a positive image. And so I'm wondering if in light of the era we're in now, mm -hmm. which is about as hopeless as any mm -hmm. I can think of with, you know, the possibility of all the bad things we're doing that could literally end it all, mm -hmm. you know, the environment and everything else. We need an optimistic vision of the future mm -hmm. again. And I'm hoping the new movie can do that instead of going to the dark place where all sci-fi has gone and mm -hmm. all sci-fi pretty much has turned into action mm -hmm. rather than thoughtfulness and, and entertainment and humor and humanity. This certainly is an opportunity for that sort of thing to take root again. Yeah, I think that's right. I, I, I think that's true. And that has certainly been true of all the other um, Trek franchises, which, uh, except for, you know, TNG had its moments where it was very optimistic. Yes. And in a different way than, than TOS was, but still. But I also think we didn't need the optimism mm -hmm. as much as we needed it during the TOS times. Yeah, I think that that's true. So it's not even a question of what the show did or didn't do. It's what we needed. I think that that is true. I don't know. I, I have very little sense for what the movie is going to do regarding that. Mm -hmm. Because I don't know what the plot is supposed to be. I mean, there's going to be a bad guy. That's pretty much all Yeah, I but TOS had bad guys. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it... The, the look of the movie is just, it's hard to read because on mm -hmm. the one hand, all of the, the shininess and the iMaciness of it could be very bright and optimistic, but it could also be sort of a... Plastic. A plastic, yeah, like dead plastic, lack mm -hmm. of humanity, and I just can't tell. I know. I know. And maybe it's just going to be Star Trek, which is fine, mm -hmm. without becoming all the wonderfulness of TOS. Mm -hmm. If it's, you know, a continuation of Star Trek, I mean, you know, that that's good. Mm -hmm. But I just feel like we need something that, that does for us on an emotional level, mm -hmm. what TOS did. Because uh, these are very, very frightening times. They are. But, you know, I... And maybe what's going to do that for us is Barack Obama. <laughs> you mean a real person and not a fictional character? <laughs> well, you know, you got to work with what you got. <laughs> I, I think that um, the coolest thing would be is if um, he, you know, got exposed to gamma radiation or got bitten by a radioactive spider and turned into an actual superhero. Obama, that is. Oh, okay. Wouldn't that be cool? Uh, a space spider? No, just, I mean, like, in his role as president, he was also a superhero. Because <laughs> then he would be sort of like a fictional character. Well, why don't we just elect Arnold? <laughs> no. <laughs> Not even close. <laughs> He's just a big, stupid chairman. Uh, <laughs> he's, he's Austrian. I know, which is worse. Um, but uh, I, I'm not sure that there will ever be another TOS. Yeah. In the same way, because it was just that magic moment in time mm -hmm. when all of those things were happening, like you just said, and it was on television, which is a very different medium than film. So it has to be... In order to achieve that kind of intimacy, I think it has to be on television or something mm -hmm. that's much more personal because you don't get that connection with the movie. Well, and unfortunately, television is... How can I explain it? When they were doing TOS and, and all the shows then, it was kind of like, you know, they showed it to whoever they were trying to sell it to and they went, yeah, I'll buy that mm -hmm. or yeah, I won't buy that. And now... I think the selection, although it isn't necessarily better or more successful, is a lot more scientific, mm -hmm. and therefore it's more cynical, 
and more canny. Mm -hmm. And like you say, there was a magic to TOS, and part of that was the unlikelihood of it. Mm -hmm. You know, it was a real shot in the dark, and it wasn't the idea of, hey, this is going to turn into a franchise that will live for 50 years. Exactly. It was just that they and, did. And, and now they, they almost expect that of every yeah. sci-fi show. And the people who were cast in it were not typical, uh, beautiful people that you would see on television, mm -hmm. you know, with the exception of the leading man, who, of course, had to be a handsome white guy. And the gorgeous women. And, and the gorgeous women, but all of the supporting characters were, for that time, you know, radical, that they weren't all white people, mm -hmm. and there was an alien, and... You know, everybody had personality, and they weren't just all, you know, beautiful women with no personality, like we so often see on shows mm -hmm. like, oh, Boston Legal, for example. It was just, it was a magic moment in time. I don't mm -hmm. think it's going to happen. And what you're saying about TV, I think, is absolutely true. And the only time you get to see things that aren't like that is when it's not on regular network TV. Mm -hmm. And I think when you see stuff on, you know, HBO or Showtime or when we get things from England like The Office, which is mm -hmm. just the, the vision of a creator. Yes. Where they say, this is what I want to do, and this is how I'm going to do it, and if you don't like it, fuck you. I'm mm -hmm. just going to make my show the way I want it to be. And that's, you know, as much as Star Trek did have constraints from the network, it really was Gene Roddenberry's vision for how this thing was going to work out. Mm -hmm. And I don't think there have been a whole lot of shows since then that had a real visionary person behind it who right. really understood what that they there were was you don't get a sense of authorship. Yeah. I mean... Even more than ownership. Yeah. But real authorship, the few times when you have seen that would be like um, when David Lynch was doing, um, whatchamacallit? Twin Peaks. Twin Peaks for the first season. Mm -hmm. Like, he was all over that. He took a lot of care with it. It was very meticulous. It was really interesting. But he couldn't sustain it. Mm -hmm. It was like after the first season, it just collapsed into a mess of nothing and it didn't go anywhere. Yeah. And that sucked. That it just never lived up to its potential. Mm -hmm. But I, I just don't think that there's that much television. And even when you do get some shows that do have the authorship, they're just not happening at the right time or mm -hmm. expressing the right kind of emotion. It's not all wrapped up in that thing the way TOS was. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well. Oh, well. <laughs> I, do, I do love looking at this sort of archival stuff yeah. because you forget, like you say, that there were times when these questions were asked of the actors for the first time, mm -hmm. and where there was first interest in these people called Trekkies, yeah. and where these cliches came from, yeah. and that, um, you know, to, to see B. Joe Trimble and yeah. Joan Winston that was cool. in the moment. Yeah, I, that was awesome. I was so glad that they, they had the two of them in there. Mm -hmm. Of course, then the next people that you see after that are these wackos from West Virginia who drive around in a delivery van <laughs> pretending to shoot Klingons as they're driving down the interstate, you know? Like, well, when I was in college, uh, my friends and I, not as a Trek thing, we would just drive around in this, this big car one of them had, and, one of our, and it had an 8-track player. <laughs> and for some reason, that was how we fired phasers. Oh, by pressing and, the And we weren't hunting Klingons, and I'm not saying we went out every day, let's <laughs> go fire our phasers, but, you know, every now and then, the person driving would say, fire phasers, Mr. Zulu. He never got the name right. And, you know, you'd hit the 8-track player, so it went to the next thing. So I kind of identified, but on a much lesser, lesser. more rational scale. So what I wanted to know about those people with the van is, was there another group of people in town who had a delivery van that was tr tricked out like a Klingon vessel, and they actually did drive around the neighborhood looking, like, for, looking each other. for each other and 
I don't think so. I think it was kind of like bad. that thing George Carlin had where you play spy at the airport. <laughs> and there's a spy at the airport, and you have to find him. So it's just one of the people. And so they were just picking cars. They were kind of like harmless Charlie Manson, you know, just picking people and let's go after them, harmless stalkers or something. See, if you actually had a group of friends who would do the whole thing and be mm-hmm. clean, that would be great. <laughs> that would be really fun. <laughs> well, maybe um, our friend Joe Campbell. <laughs> who looks extremely fine in his Starfleet That's outfit. It's a uniform. Yeah, yeah. Um, knows about this. <coughs> so let me just I'll, um, take an attempt to tell that story. Okay. Because it was so funny. Um, so Logan's friend Christian um, happens to own a TNG uniform that he got because he's a hardcore trekker. And a group of them were emailing about movies that they had to see in 2009. And one of them, in this you know reply all to Christian, said, when we go see the Star Trek movie, you have to wear your costume. And Christian replied, first of all, it's a uniform, <laughs> not a costume. I just love that. So awesome. Yeah, I love that. So funny. So uh, I encourage you all to go watch the video because it's, mm-hmm. it's really, really interesting. Um, and the clips are about 10 minutes long each. And I put a little summary at the top of what each one has in it. The second one, I think, has like a seven-minute long clip from the movie. Skip it. Unless you <laughs> really want to see that seven-minute clip from the movie again. I don't know why the hell it's in there. It's just so boring. Yeah. What a boring movie that is. Uh-huh. And that was the action sequence. Yeah. That seven minutes. When, when they go into whatever field and everything slows down and they got wavy lines coming off of them, I was like, oh, God, I can't believe how boring this is. Yep. Wow. But it led to much better stuff. It did. It, was it did enough time. box office for them to, to go on. and To have a movie coming out in 2009. Yeah. Which is pretty crazy. Mm-hmm. With young Kirk in, with young Kirk underwear, in, in his underwear and his boxer briefs that we're going to pretend is young Bill. <laughs> so I'll find more video by these guys and post it so everybody can watch it and be up on their their stuff. But um, yeah, and as we said, there's lots of stuff going on the blog. You want to keep up with it? You know, we there is just so much. Bill is everywhere <laughs> that we can't we can't talk about it all in a podcast. And you know, some of it just has to. To get blogged, and that is also your big chance to, you know, throw Absolutely. in your comments. We love, love hearing yeah. from you. And for people who have emailed me um, YouTube stuff, thank you very much for emailing me YouTube stuff. And I always try to blog it when I get it because there are a bazillion things on YouTube that are worth watching. Mm-hmm. So please go to our homepage, which is at lookathisbutt.blogspot.com, and sign up for email updates when we put new stuff on the blog and they'll just come to you automatically you don't even have to click through but you can just look at the stuff right there in the email and that way you won't ever miss anything yeah because that's important Mm -hmm. so i think that's about it i think so i think we should um do one more quick shill for our big hosting event which is very very soon that's coming up um on January uh, 17th, I believe. Oh, I thought it was the 18th, which is a Saturday. Saturday is the 17th. Okay, then I guess that's the night. It's Saturday the 17th. It's in San Francisco, and we are going to be hosting the Women on the Way Festival. That's right. We'll be there cracking wise and talking about Bill's butt. And we've written a couple of sketches that we're really eager to put in front of an audience. Yes, so that should be great. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, right, so I think that's about it. Anything else we forgot to talk about? That's it. Well, keep sending live us. Live long and prosper. Live long and prosper. <laughs> send us email. Send us stuff. We love to get feedback from you guys. 
it's what makes our show what it is. And us. And well, us too, but yeah. you know. <laughs> mostly us. But those people. <laughs> 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 